I had a couple shotties and I freaked it. I freaked it. Okay. Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger. seat a little bit colder I just want to use your John tonight we'll throw the flushing sound effect in there I don't want to lose your bond tonight that's all I had planned for this episode so I'm I'm fucking I'm treading water right now. You, you know that you. that's the opening for the movie Tammy starring Melissa McCarthy. I did not. I've never seen Tammy. I'm sorry. It's just like the Warner Brothers logo and just <laughs> Who's doing that? I mean, that's the song. That's how that's how that song goes, right? Those are the lyrics. Yeah, it's uh Josie's on a vacation fart away. That's what they say. I tried learning that song on the guitar from my girlfriend, and I forgot that shit, bro. Yeah, she she curb stomped your ass when you tried to do that. Yeah, man, she fucking dragged my ass across La Vida. <laughs> across La Vida? Yeah. Live in La Vida, Rocky. Yeah, that's what they called it. That's why they called that song. They're calling it Live in La Vida, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> it's just girlfriends dragging their boyfriends across concrete, scarring their backs yes. up. Yes, please. And all the, and the women's are like, pussy clap back. <laughs> snap, snap. And and the fellas are like, we deserve this. We deserve this. And the fellas this are like, fine. We're like, we're navigating a post Me Too world. And we're, we're, <laughs> we're, learning, we're learning right now. That's I'm gladly happening. stepping on eggshells so I can learn. I'm listening. I'm learning. I'm My back is going to require so much cosmetic surgery. I sat my fat dumper down and listened. <laughs> I took a fat I took a fat shit and listened to my girlfriend on the on the can. <laughs> She's yelling at me through the door and I'm saying, "Can you please just let me do this and then I will and then I'll listen to you. I swear to God." Yeah. I swear yep. Yep. I swear yep. to God. I'll I'll uh what is fuck. God damn it. Sweetheart, I swear to God. I don't know what that is. What are we doing? I swear to God. Who says that? Like that. I swear to God, I'll fucking Sound like a Mark Wahlberg character or something. I don't know, man. I feel fucked up. Hey, right hey, now. do you do you think Chris Chalakian looks like Chris from Altasanti at all? A little bit. I was at a party last night with him, and someone brought up the Sopranos, and he's like, "I never seen that." And uh, and me and the other person, like, both kind of realized that he looks like Chris from Altasanti, <laughs> and I was just yeah. like trying to see how off base we were on that. I think he looks uh, like but, him a little bit. I mean, young young Michael Imperioli is very. Ethnically ambiguous, a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, that beautiful area near the Caucasus Mountains. Like, <laughs> yes. could, could really be anything, I guess. Yeah, uh. <laughs> he could be different shades of white or different shades of European. It doesn't matter. It's Whatever true, he's got to be, he's very ethnically no, ambiguous. Yeah. 
He's like back in the day when Jewish people would play Middle Eastern folks in movies. Back in the day, all the way 10, 12 years ago when we were <laughs> when we were a real country. Yeah, when everything was real and good. All right, let's introduce the, the drops. The Many Saints of Newark. Some longtime listeners might recognize that one as McDonald's flute. Man. Now we got this one. Long time, long, yep, that's funny. I love that you can hear the little like um, whatever that that musician's name is. That that song in the background, like the dun 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 dun. It's perfect. Is that it's like that music that plays in SpongeBob sometimes? Anyway. And then the third drop. Holy shit! I'm gonna come. Thought we needed to get him in the mix a little bit. It's good stuff. Yeah, stuff. It's funny. Welcome to my favorite podcast. This is a podcast about people's favorite things. I'm the host of the show, whether you like it or not. Probably not know Marger. And we're going down. You guys probably heard his voice already. Dude, I'm feeling fucked up right now. You cannot ask Yo, me, me what too. any of this shit me is. Me too. I got okay. very little sleep last night. I got very little sleep. I'm running. I got my booster shot tomorrow, so I'm trying to chug water, and I feel like it's yeah. going to fuck me up, you know? Have fun, have fun, have fun. I'm getting my flu shot at the same time. I'm going to ask them to put them both in my dick. I did that shit, dick, too. You know? I did that shit, too. Yeah. So I'm taking tomorrow and Tuesday completely off, and I'm actually really looking for. I, it's fucked up. We need that excuse to rest. I know. It's like, uh, you know what? We're going to talk about that kind of thing next week. We're going to talk about that next week. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I believe that. Because I loved getting COVID because I felt like I was on that Phantom Thread shit. We're not well. Actually, we're not talking about that next week, actually. Oh! oh. I forgot! We're actually doing, some, we're doing something silly next week. Thank Christ. I, I, can, I only have to watch 50 minutes as opposed to an hour 45 or something. I think Phantom Thread's like, I think it's like 214 or something like that. Uh, I guess you're right. I'm on uh, Letterboxd I guess right you're right. I guess I'll give you my house. It's 210. <laughs> Two ten. That's it. I was hey hey, but the no the director this is the director's cut two fourteen right? Isn't the director's cut two fourteen? Oh uh, yeah yeah of course yeah the longer credits <laughs> he got the longer the slower they're not even longer they're just slower they just slowed them down yeah. a little bit exactly exactly well you guys know that beautiful man across from me on the zoom window let's get him in here from everything Ooh. now show writer comedian. Filmmaker Rocky Parito. Rocky, what is the vibe? It's your boy, Eduardo. Hey, how you doing, everyone? It's Eduardo. Coming to you live from the Tom Lega studio. God, yeah. Wait, should I? That'd be crazy if I just started going by my legal name, Eduardo, as opposed to Rocky. Your I've Christian just, name. My 28 years down the toilet of being a different person. <laughs> Did you go? You you started going by Rocky at zero days old. Literally out, like, my parents had that for me as soon oh. as I was, like, out. Yeah. Gotcha. I did not give myself that name. I did not ask for it. Like, that was a, like, a given, like, right out the bat. That's right nuts. Bat. I actually didn't know that. I yeah. thought that was sort of, I thought that was a sort of one of those, one of those hero's journey things where you're like, I'm going by Rocky now. Yeah, I'm just like Kevin Corrigan in Buffalo 66, where I started telling everyone, I want to go by Rocky now. I wanna so you got to call me Rocky. I want to run up the steps and call me Rocky now. Yeah, exactly. No, I had not seen that movie until like maybe, God, uh, let's call it nine years ago. Haven't seen it since, let's go with uh, 45 years ago. 
Sorry, I've been watching. I'm listening to a lot of freedom, so that's where my brain's at. Right oh, now. good. So you're in fucking Paula Tompkins, <laughs> Scott Ackerman brain of just like I'm gonna make fun of the thing my friend just said. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna immediately comment on the thing that he's currently saying, and I haven't let him finish yet. Oh, someone accidentally like misspoke. I'm gonna turn that into the <laughs> longest running joke possible. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking ruin their life with this joke, and I'm this never is gonna, gonna end let up as it a down. Exactly. Although I do remember when they started joking about it, I was like, oh, you misspoke. That's going to be a t-shirt. And they... <laughs> That's going to be cash for me in a few years. Yeah, and that shit literally happens. <laughs> yeah. I am excited for the Comedy Bang Bang book, though. That feels like a thing I should put on my shelf, just as a reminder of where I came from. If 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 it's cool, I would do it. You and I both have a deep, deep soft spot in our heart for that show. For sure, yeah. Yeah. There's a guy, there are certain areas of that show where I was, it was like undefeatable. Like 100%. I, yeah, I was listening like to I, it up and up until like 2019, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably like 2017 or 18 for me, I was like, just kind of keep on checking in. And then I just kind of, kind of slowly, I don't know, man. I don't know, but there, boy, there's some beautiful, beautiful uh, stuff. That show's so good sometimes. It's so, I mean, I literally would last, I try, I was like, not last night specifically, but like the other night, I literally just threw on Shooter the LA Comedian just because I needed yeah. to hear Shooter the LA Comedian go. For a couple sure. times, I've shot people a couple times, man. That's not why they call God. me Shooter, though, because I shoot from the hip. I just needed Andy Daly to say that to he's me. Fuck, he's such a fucking legend. I, I was obsessed with him in like a certain period of college. I was like, that guy is truly the hero of American comedy right now. Well, I mean, with and review, he's... he pretty much was. Like, that was yeah. That's some oh, heroic stuff in that show. Yeah, definitely. Even for a fucking adaptation, that like it was, it's just like God, you did such an amazing dark comedy. It's so so good. Holy and shit, I, I'm gonna come. That's us, Andy Daly. That's us watching. That's us listening to the episode where he played 23 of his characters at the same time. Yeah, it's really a comedy. A bang up, bang, fucked up, fucked up shit. Hot yeah. dog, one of the one of the one of the best loser characters of all time. Yeah, yeah. Shout out Andy God. Daly. Let's get Andy Daly, Andy Daly on the show. Shout out Jason Manzukis, who's always there for the Andy Daly episodes. Is kind of like the co-referee. He's uh. Jason Manzukis never played a character in his entire life. Just always played a version nope. of himself. It's true, and it's funny. I don't know. I love Jason Manzukis. It's so that guy too. from the league. Truly. Yeah, yeah. He he needed. A, I don't know. He needs to work with like, like a like a director director. You know, no offense to anyone who directed any of the dramedies that he was in. But you think you should know. work with like fucking Scorsese? Is that what you're saying? I, if the Duplass brothers ever made another movie, I'd love to see him work with them or something. Yeah, like I good. feel like it, he would have been a really good fit. But oh. they're kind of cons they're concerned with different things now. Let him do. I mean, the new kind of Duplass brothers but it's one guy is alexander layman that he should work with him sure yeah yeah being like a um oh he just released a movie with pete davidson didn't he alexander layman there's a guy who did like the the tennis movie paddleton and uh blue jay and blue jay yeah he just released a rom a rom drum with pete oh. davidson on to streaming yeah. on to streaming yeah oh i gotta check that i really liked i've loved both of his movies that he's made there that you go. On that. i gotta check that out yeah i hope it's good Hope it's good, just like today's, uh, just like today's movie. Hope it's good. Yeah. Hey yeah. Noah, aren't you <laughs> even asking me a question? <laughs> I'm thinking about asking you a question right now. As soon as I uh, clear my I like throat. The, yeah, I was gonna like pretend I was taking the lead, and then I was actually just throwing it to you <laughs> in a professional manner. Thank you. Hey, back to you. Uh, back to you, Rock. 
And now it's my turn. And uh, on today's episode, we're going to ask Noah what we're doing. Uh, Rocky, we're talking about Inherent Vice today. A very uh, tricky PTA film for some people. Mm-hmm. And to some people, it's the only one of his they like. To a certain, I want to meet that person. I, I want to meet that person. I want to meet that dad. To some people, I, I want feel to hang like out with that guy. This is a very, in some ways, very um, off-brand PTA film, and in other ways, a very on-brand PTA film. But Rocky, how old were you when this movie came out, and what was going on in your life? I think I was. Ju- I just turned twenty. Swag. When this came out. Um, and I was entering my first year of college at Chapman University. I was in the middle of my first year of college at Chapman University. I had befriended Chris Chalakian and had yet to befriend the rest of my improv team, which included other members of Everything Now Show and its extended family. Let's go. Uh, but Chris and I came on at the same time, so we were kind of like buddy-buddy a little bit. And the trailer comes out and we're both DMing each other being like, yo, this looks fucking great, right? And just kind of like excited about it, hyped up. I was on Tumblr still. They had, there was a, there was a clip from uh, Toronto International Film Festival that included the shot from this movie of Doc walking toward the police station and getting knocked over. Yep. And I was like, you know, cause it was like, th- this was like the period of time where I'm like, okay, pins and needles. Any information about the next Paul Thomas Anderson movie? I'm on Cigarettes and Red Vines, which I'm so shocked we have not talked about. I know that's until crazy now. that we haven't mentioned. It's that amazing shit. we have not mentioned the the wonderful fan blog Cigarettes and Red Vines or whatever. Which, but yeah, was, ironically, kind of stopped being a major source after the Master. Like after the Master, yeah, the information is like way less, and uh, like Master like backwards is really where that fan blog like becomes a, like a, a resource everything forward mm-hmm. from that inerrant vice forward it's like you don't need to go there to get information really you know not really i mean like you know you'll they do some like interesting like you know showcases interviews with certain collaborators at ptas and also you know if you want like if, if you see like you're on twitter or something like that these days you're gonna get the information regardless somehow yeah. but you can go there and they'll have everything cataloged it's kind of totally. like this is when you know these press shots came out of the filming or something and you can see Joaquin Phoenix in his sandals and you know um Robert Robert Elswit setting up a tracking shot or something like that Robert Elswit about to lose his fucking mind like this is the last one this is the last one with you bud chain smoking five cigarettes just being like yeah sure Paul whatever you want little boy (laughs) little print little little Hollywood prince who I will be leaving after this yeah yeah it's boy but yeah so i I was uh, entering freshman year of college when this came out and uh i remember driving to la and this is before i kind of really had like my own car and was like living my own life and driving around la and stuff uh i drove up to la with a a dear friend from high school kabir Cambodge. shouts out kabir we were making short films and stuff during uh high school and we had taken several trips to la to see birdman and whiplash this is 2014 let's go we we went to the arc light for all those and we were just having the time of our lives because movies were great again it was an amazing year i'm so happy about 2014 great year and we went to see inherent vice at the um the cinerama dome nice and um there were some really tall dudes sitting in front of us it was kind of hard to see for the entire time but um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. I was like, man, I understood like 
fifty percent of that movie, and then uh, then I I revisited it like you know a year later or something, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of went on from there. That fifty percent is a lot <laughs> to understand on the first watch. That's like I quite was, a bit. you know. It's like I, it, there's so much time in between PTA movies, and so like you know, in the buildup, I'm sure I was like rewatching Magnolia and stuff. So I was kind of like on the brain level of like, all right, what do you want me to understand, Paul? I'm gonna read it all. I'm gonna understand it all, you know. And there, um, there is a long time between his movies, but not necessarily in this most recent case. There's only a two year thing because he's yeah, writing yeah. them concurrently. He's writing the Master and Inherent Vice kind of at around the same time, like jumping back yes. and forth between projects and stuff. So it's almost like a, one yeah. is leaking into the other, like as he's like writing them a little bit, you know? Definitely. Yeah. No, we, he kind of hit another stride from the master through licorice pizza, where it's kind of like a couple of years in between movies, like really only like two or three years in between. Plus he's making music videos all over the place. And he's saying, you know, he's, he's, he's working, he's working a lot, but there was that period from punch drunk love and there'll be blood where it was really like hmm, Few and a lot far of between. time. Yeah. Especially after there'll be blood. That was like, that's a, that's a, a five year gap. gap, five years, it's a five year gap. Yeah. And it was Which worth then it. Made, yeah, it made the master this kind of like, okay, let's see what happens. I hope he's like still got the goods. And boy, we were we were not prepared. It's sort of like but anyway. It's sort of like t- uh, Tom Brady, in the sense he can't count him out. He <laughs> yeah. can't count out yeah, touchdown sure, Tom. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? You're like he must be done now, right? And then lo and behold, the fucker's still around. The fucker's still around for some reason, except I like kissing uh, his damn son on the lips. Yeah, except I like Tom Brady a hell of a lot more than I like Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding, Folks, just if you could see the look on Noah's face there. If you could see the look on my face, you would uh, so you would give me a thousand dollars a month on Patreon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I no, was, uh, where what? were you when this movie came out? No, where were you when this movie came out? I was in Beaverton, motherfucker. I was in Beaverton, Oregon. Okay. Um, do you know when this? Do you know when in 2014 this movie came out? Perchance was it? fall or spring as 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 per the trailer and joanna newsom's voice just in time for christmas so you probably saw this like january 2015 because um that was like a coastal release i'm pretty sure for christmas and then it was like you know early january for the rest of the world okay uh well i didn't see it at all in theaters because this was the first pta movie that i like I was consciously aware of who Paul Thomas Anderson was at this point. Like right, right. the master kind of puts him really on my radar when we get it from DVD Netflix and I watch it with my dad and he says that movie fucking sucks. And I go, okay, there's only a certain amount of movies we can watch together now because I really like that. Um, We've crossed the threshold. It's kind of like when you, like your parents pick you up for the, for the last time, <laughs> at least you're getting older. It's like, <laughs> oh, this is the last time I watch an adventurous movie with my father or mother. Because yeah, this is the, this is the last time I try and push their, push their horizons a little bit with, cinema yeah and i know that yeah. my, my dad's good with happy gilmore and my mom's good with my mom's good with the family stone and maybe we leave it at that uh and Boom. not try and make Beautiful. them watch the master but i didn't see this in theaters but i knew who paul thomas anderson was so this is around the time i'm starting to realize how good punch drunk love is how amazing the master is i fully have recontextualized that first attempt to watch magnolia you know like in my head when i was like in ninth grade or whatever this is like three or four years later at this point uh, and I've like realized, oh, this is like a force to be reckoned with guy. I should probably go see his next movie in theaters. But I remember distinctly two of my friends went to go see it. 
at the Century 16 Cinemark Theater in Cedar Hills. And I asked them, how was it? And they said, I will never forget this. They said, it was like watching a foreign film with no subtitles, is what they said. Hell yeah. And, yeah, I, that's and, not, I, and yeah. I said, I will not fucking watch that movie then, ever, is what I said. Damn, bro. That's what I said to myself. Because I was like, I don't want to do that. It sounds like shit. Who cares? <laughs> you know? Like, why would I put myself through that? I just didn't care. I was no, just like, whatever. You're, you're kind of right. This This movie is kind of like... A purposeful suicide in a weird way. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's I mean, crazy. like, because like the master is at least like a vaguely historical drama. It's like a period drama or totally. whatever, you know. And this is like, I don't think Warner Brothers knew what to do with this movie. Hence, why it didn't really make any money. I mean, yeah. the master, like, I don't think it was really like a box office smash or whatever, but it was still like, you know, it's kind of like. It was after there will be blood, so naturally you're gonna you're gonna kind of get butts in seats, and because everyone yes, you know, that's the more follow or less up loved to that movie, his biggest movie to date. Exactly, and so this one is just this like weird esoteric outing. Warner Brothers tries its best to put it out as a comedy, and clearly that's the wrong thing to do when you go see this movie because yeah, it's funny. I mean, like you know, yeah, it's there's like funny a very, moments. There's funny moments and stuff, but it is a melancholic art film, you know. Uh, with like Which dialogue that feels so Shakespearean. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's not even, and we'll get it. I'm jumping the gun big time, but it's not even necessarily to me, the dialogue. It's the opaqueness in which they don't care if you follow along is really, yeah, no, this, that's the biggest no barrier of the movie. Yeah. There's no handholding in this movie whatsoever. No. And it's like, it's great too, because like, you know, some poetic bars will speed right past you and then we're like in a completely different scene and you're just like losing context and i think pta was doing that by design to a certain degree which 100%. again feels like a like falling on your own sword kind of thing for the sake of telling this very beautiful story um true to its original author like i think he was trying to hone in yes. on the sensation that Pinchon gives with his, you know, most notorious work, I guess, or whatever. He and he trying to create an atmosphere. He does this. And this is his second over, you know, second ever adaptation. There will be blood is a extremely loose adaptation of the right. Upton Sinclair novel. Whereas, according to people who have read Pinchon and this book specifically that is being adapted, they call it a very faithful adaptation in terms of essence you know like this is in, on sure. an, a purely essence level i know that the, he changed the ending big time and that was yeah. like one of the biggest changes that he made from the adaptation yeah. but on a purely adaptational level they said he captures pinchin's essence so unbelievably well and that wherefore is a truer adaptation than anything he had ever done before i yeah i mean that that only that only makes sense and also like learning about how pta wrote this is it's I actually stupid into how he pulled that level. off. Like it's actually I was talking about crazy. this with, with Chris. Yeah, last night, Chris and Grant. Grant's a fan of the book and was telling me about the ending last night. And we'll talk about the discrepancies there a little later. But like, yeah, PTA went page by page, word by word, and adapted the entire book verbatim into a screenplay. Yeah. And I'm, you know, this, this is a book. This is prose, you know? And as you can see in the movie, he keeps a lot of the prose in there as much yeah. as possible via a very clever voiceover performance by Joanna Newsom. So he kind of gets to have his cake and eat it too a little bit. But there's a lot of things that happen in this movie that are, you know, like 
uh, <laughs> they're evo- they're evocations more so than they are like you know literalisms i guess and then when they kind of blend together it becomes this weird dreamlike state of like how much of this is actually happening does that character exist where are we how did we get here like it's it it, it flows around but it maintains a tone thanks to johnny greenwood and um leslie jones i think is doing heroic work here as an editor um she worked with him with pta on punch drunk love and the master and i think she's my favorite collaborator of his because they just they both in those in these three movies they pull off such a specific beguiling tone of psychological discomfort and then catharsis i think and um this movie in particular leslie has these amazing long crossfades and you just kind of blend faces and locations together and stuff i I think it's i think they do such good work here but yeah pta really went off the went off the wall with this one just trying to do uh do right by a pension but maybe leaving the audience in the dust a hundred percent um yeah my my journey with this movie has been extremely up and down to say the least because the first time i watched it was in college i was like well if pta is my guy i gotta see this movie you know i gotta do it i gotta watch Mm -hmm. this so i threw it on probably on Amazon Prime or something, or I rented it from the school library or whatever, and I throw it on, and I I fucking hated it. I just didn't give a (laughs) shit at all. I was just like, fuck this, actually. Fuck this movie. Uh, And so I I just wrote it off. Whatever. Don't care. Um, And then when I did a little podcast called It's on the List with Noah and Mason, one of our last, Oh. oh, have you heard of it? Oh, have you seen it? Oh, do you know about this one? Rocky? Yeah, I got ads for I got ads for when I was listening to um to, to Joe Rogan uh, <laughs> to Joe Rogan and I was like, good for them, but I ain't listening to that shit. Hey, good for them. Hey, uh, hey, happy for you or sorry that happened, but I ain't reading that shit. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that we did a little show and Mason was like, we got to talk about this movie, and so I had to watch it again. And I still and he was right, and I still didn't care. I still didn't oh. really care about this movie. Ouch! Uh, for the basically the reason of. Uh, it's not really that fun to watch at a certain level for me. It just isn't. But I will say, <laughs> last November, I think, so I'm coming up on a year ago, I went down to good old OC to the Frida Cinema, wow. and wow. I watched Inherent Vice on the big screen. And it was the most I had enjoyed it to that moment. And I really enjoyed it when I watched it on the big screen. But I knew that I was going into it, and I knew that it was like, I wanted to see it. I wanted to be sort of in that space with this movie. I think it's that you have to be willing to be basically on this movie's wavelength, or you're going to get left behind, as you said. Yeah. Uh, And that's the the only time I've ever wanted to be on. I didn't want to watch the movie. for. I did not want to watch the movie this week for the podcast, but I'm like, I have to do it. Uh, I have to fucking watch this. And so I did, and I didn't give a shit about it again. Spoiler alert for this week. Fucking A. But that one time that I actually went in to want to be on this movie's wavelength, I really did enjoy it. So say what you will about this movie, whatever, but it is, it is... When it works, it works, and when it doesn't work for you, it's like the last thing you want to be looking at. I think. Yeah, that's it, just it where really... I'm at with it. No, I mean you're right, and it's like there's no easy entryway into it. You know, it's like it it just is so 
uh, on its own journey and telling it in its own way. And I think seeing it in a theater is the right way to see it. I mean, you look at it and you just feel the texture of the film, you know, 100%. like literally is it's so beautiful. I think this movie looks so gorgeous and it's such a film film and it feel it like looks and feels like it's old, you know, like kind of like the master did a little bit. It's like, that's just what PTA lands on. He figures out how to make things feel classic in a way and feel how like to look in. like they are of their own time period. Yes. Like they're yeah. like kind of like found movies in a weird way. Yes. Um, But yes, there are so many ways this movie could not suck you in. <laughs> Incidentally, I, as I saw this movie more and more, I kind of just fell in love with it further and further and further sure. and further. And I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of grieving these past couple of years, you know, and um, I feel like over time, kind of like the master, I just kind of sit with this movie and what it's trying to say and what it's ruminating on. Cause I feel like this movie is just one extended like wistful sigh looking up into the stars and or the ocean rather and just being like you know like wow this really all there is isn't it like they, we are just kind of like at the whims of time and also powerful people who don't have our interests and <laughs> have our interests in mind for them and it's just like you know it's like a, it's like a little existential uh, melancholy and i come back to it here and there occasionally and like you know the plot be damned i think the feelings it, it evokes are so sweet and sad and there's some there's some really funny stuff in it too so i am a big i'm a very big fan of this movie but i also completely get why this is on the lower rung of the totem pole for a lot of people when it comes to his films it is very hard to watch sometimes yeah you gotta you gotta be like you said willing to just ride with it or you gotta be you know in the mood so to speak mm -hmm. you know it it's like watching a book. I mean, like, like I mean, that it's such a stupid thing to say, but you're like, you're sitting down and you're just like, like watching Benicio del Toro and Joaquin Phoenix, and you're just like, man, I am like doing, I'm like, I am like immersing myself into a universe in order in, in order for this to really work i am like engrossing myself in every little detail yeah. and i mean they're all there too like i'd never finished this book i kind of like read the first couple chapters or so and i remember returning to the movie and the like very very little details are all in the book or in the movie and the book like they're all like oh wow connected down to the kind of pizza that doc and his friends are eating near the beginning of the film like it has like, really? a bunch of crap on it, including marshmallows and stuff. I'm like, yeah, the PD and PTA decided like, I want to like, let's like put that in there. And it does, it, this kind of enters this era of PTA where he really starts playing with lack of context and yes. with like, with like deliberately um, creating uh, confounding uh, moods with, with uh, for, at, at the expense of a coherent plot. Totally. Really. Or, you know, it's not like, you know, I don't know. His like his his stories aren't really formulaic ever, really. Maybe a certain degree, but uh, yeah. From Inherent Vice through Phantom Thread and through Licorice Pizza, there's a lot of things that are deliberately left out and to be felt instead. In, totally. in Phantom Thread, it's it's a lot of like Alma's backstory. There's a lot of things that are very, very, very like hinted at, but you're not gonna get like someone explaining to you exactly what it is. And there's so much explaining in this movie, and yet <laughs> you know it's like yeah, it's it, it's like it doesn't. It doesn't make it easier, you know? Like, I remember, like, it actually makes it more confusing the more they explain yes. it. The more you try and understand the plot of the movie, the like the, the more lost you're going to be. 100%. Because, like, I, I remember um, in my second review of this, I said, like, there's like three or four scenes that I really wanted to, like, 
recontextualize and focus on and understand. And I only understood like two of them. Totally. And like even and like I like as time went on with my relationship with this movie, it is one where I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this scene right now and linger on every single word that they're saying, so I can just like break down what is trying to happen. And it's sort of today, a, it's, it's sort like, of a maddening process at a certain level. It is, but it's it, one yeah. that if it works, if you are, if and again, I'm not, I don't dislike this movie. It's just one time of the four times I've watched it has it really kind of fully worked its magic on me, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other times I only kind of hear for certain aspects of it or certain sequences. But it's if you fuck with this kind of thing, it's like a it is like a where's Waldo of treasure oh, yeah. for you. To treat to treat you could just like you said, you could watch one scene of this movie over and over again just to be like, okay, here's what's literally going on. Here's what on an emotional level is going on. Here's what on a filmmaking level is going on. Here's what on a historical level is going on in terms of L.A. politics and L.A. like, you know, bullshit or whatever. Like, here's what's going on on just like a weird esoteric like journey through the cosmos level. Like, you could do that with this movie yeah. And for some people, it's their shit. It is 100%. Like, I'm going to, you know, if you, if you, I'm not to sound like a Reagan era, like dad here, but if you like smoking weed, you probably would do that and then fucking have a hell of a time with this movie. And I'm sure a lot of people get high and have an amazing time with this movie. And maybe you are one of those people, my friend. I was going to say, like, I think part of this, the reason why you don't like this movie is because you don't smoke weed, bro. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I, I actually do think that's part of it. And I thought about it this time. I'm like, man, if I did drugs, I bet you I would love this shit. But I don't. And so I don't love this shit all the time. Totally. And it rambles. And I think that's actually, like, you know, um, in the body of his work. I think it makes Inherent Vice very special because it is so shaggy and it has the pinch and stuff and it's it has the stoner stuff. In every sense of the word, exactly. Yeah, it really rambles on. And I don't know, like this past time watching it, I was like, I was kind of looking at it zoomed out and being like, okay, and then this scene happens and then that scene happens. So it kind of felt like a little uh, like quicker to me, maybe, sure. I guess, because this is my, like, my fifth time watching it or something. Uh, maybe you, six at this yeah, point. You know, you know the skeleton well enough to be like, all right, whatever. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna, or maybe not even the skeleton, but you like know what you like and know like what really sings for you, so you're able to zoom out a little bit this time. To- totally, yeah. It, it does feel like opening the hood of a car and just kind of like watching all the mechanisms feeding into each other sure. and seeing like what's the intent here. And yeah, I mean. It's it does feel like homework, you know. This movie is kind of for like people who love noirs and people who Absolutely. love stoner noirs and uh, yeah. If you yeah. love, I mean, if you if you love the long goodbye, I mean, this movie is so indebted to the long goodbye. Totally, long goodbye, know? Big Lebowski, plus like even older stuff like The Big Sleep and everything. Yeah, like, all it's those just... all those Howard Hawks and you know Philip Marlowe stories, basically mm-hmm. that Bogart tramps around in. Yeah, with an emphasis on, like, a feeling of intoxication, you know? Like, it really is... I think the movie does a great job of putting you in Doc's headspace. Um, That's true. It is so... so, We are... You never stray from Doc Sportello in this movie. And it's crazy to think that Joaquin jumped right from the master into this. I feel like these characters are so 
different in terms of a performance but maybe at a certain level they're not that different at their emotional core which is maybe why he was able to jump from them you know what i mean so definitely yeah it does there is a weariness to doc you know like in this movie he's like he is a noir detective you know he's shambly and he's perpetually high, you know, but he's not entirely stupid. And I love that this movie no, kind of consistently shows him yeah. at the top of his intelligence, outsmarting people, yes. being clever, being insightful, you know. He uses but his he, his own trappings of his personality to his advantage to get himself so close to things that he can't yeah. help but gain information. It's cool. Exactly. Yeah, it's really, really fun to watch because he's, you know, Joaquin is – so good. And it's like, you know, he has a little bit of that feralness to him that he, you know, he gets to use here and there, but it is not, it's a, it's a very focused performance. He's like in the world, he's doing screwball dialogue with Reese Witherspoon and with Timothy Simons from Veep and stuff like Dude, that. I is, love Timothy Simons. He is such a good yeah, actor. He's great. That scene is all, all of it's crazy. It, it is. Yeah. It does feel like a where's Waldo thing. And like, he's just kind of being pinballed into different, storylines that are all kind of in the same world and vaguely are like associated with other characters and stuff. But then you kind of like, they all have different ideas of how things are going down. So it really confuses like doc's context and the viewer's context for the entire plot. Um, and it's it, it can be really really hard to follow sometimes. But I think but, but I think what the most impress and the re and that bouncing around that pinball thing that you're describing, I think the most impressive thing about this movie is no matter what case he's currently attached to or where he finds himself or with who, they don't really matter ultimately because Not really. this movie is about him getting over a girl. That's really what this movie's about. And through these different cases, we see him come into an acceptance of what was and what is going to be and what where he came from, basically. I'm getting emotional, honestly. I mean, I do love this movie that much. It is like the master for me where I get emotional thinking about it. But yeah, it reminds me of another movie I saw this year for the first time, Chan is Missing by Wayne Wang, which is a very tight uh, little neo-noir in San Francisco. And it is this thing where it's like, you know, you can try and understand the actual mystery at the center, but all the mystery does is contextualize the feelings you know, that these characters are going through. And in this movie, you're absolutely right. This movie is about ruminating on the end of relationships and the passage of time. And then if you like zoom out even further, realizing like this world is not getting better. It is only going to get worse. And there's nothing I can do about it. I am out of control of these forces that are controlling mine and everyone else's lives. And neighborhoods are going to get destroyed. Families are going to get broken. Rich people are going to get richer. And ex-girlfriends are going to be ex-girlfriends. We're going to continue to float away. That's just part of life. And that is literally like that ties into the titles, literal definition in maritime law. Yeah. (laughs) It's just this kind of like, you know. It, things will decay. I have a, I, yes. I, I, I wrote down so many lines in this movie for the awards section. I'm so excited. But I, I mean, I highlighted the one that, you know, is the ultimate line in this film. And I kind of alluded to it there. But yeah, it is this kind of continuous rumination on like, what can I do when all there is around me is misery and people not in control of their own destinies? Can I can I slightly shift a little bit? I want to ask a crazy ass question. Hit me with it, bro. 
is this Owen Wilson's best performance ever? You might be right. Yeah, that's 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 a crazy ass question, but you might be right. I can't believe him in this movie. The second he enters for the first time is I'm like in the fog. I am yes, I am like in a sensory deprivation tank. I am like suddenly just like so engaged with him. Like, it's so beautiful watching those two perform together, Owen Wilson and Joaquin Phoenix. They're great. Um, they're yeah, they're great so good. The, the several scenes that they share, you know, they're given mountains of dialogue and context and emotional context to play with, but they're both, they, they both give you what you like about those two actors. You get like everything about Joaquin Phoenix that you find charming. You get everything about Owen Wilson that you find charming and, and compelling. And it's like, it's just, it's like, it, again, it's like PTA's best work in this era. It works on so many levels of entertainment and uh, emotional context and everything. Like it's I, so I th- engrossing to watch. I think Owen Wilson is sort of the emotional key to the movie almost in Huge. some ways. Definitely. Because I think that's where Doc learns the most in this yeah. film and has the most revelations is watching him, watching Owen Wilson's character from you meet him Owen Wilson's character basically when he's at the bottom. And then yeah. he only he's one of the only people with a real happy ending in this movie arguably. And it's like the only thing that Doc can do to achieve any sort of happy ending because as he sees the destruction around him including even like for Bigfoot who's a guy who's who's partner was taken from him, you know, right. and is like there's so much around him and sort of Leisha asks him what is going to keep you up at night? What is the one thing that you want to do that you can do right? And he realizes like there is a wrong that I can write in this story out of all the narratives that are going on. And that that kicks off the third act. And I think it's a very beautiful moment where it's like, okay, you, the viewer and Doc have been given this like phone books, like, you know, thick, you know, uh, dossier of like, here's everything that's happening that's bad in the world where do you want to start? What, what do you want to do? You know? Right. And he, and like Joaquin's very beautiful in in recalling a line that Owen Wilson says, which is little kid blues. And he's like that. If you know, I would really love to reunite that family because this movie is just filled with families that are torn apart and people who are torn apart. And I love that. That's the direction the story takes. And they because, set, yeah. Yeah. And they it's set that up right at the beginning of the movie too, when they're like, the map transitions like literally at the beginning of the movie and they show you the entire South Bay mm-hmm. and what is supposed to stand in for LA. And they literally say Mexican families bounced out to build Chavez or uh, Dodge stadium in Chavez ravine, mm-hmm. American and Indians, what they say in the movie, but native Americans kicked out of bunker Hill to build the music center. And now Tariq's neighborhood, RIP Michael K. Williams, one of the best character Fucking, actors of all time. I got so, so sad when I saw him, I was so excited and then devastated when he I know. came up. He's so good. He's so, he is, he is, he was brilliant. I mean, he was such yeah. a brilliant actor and it didn't Absolutely. really matter what he was playing because he just, he just was a special person to watch on screen. Yeah. He brings, he brings his soul to every performance. And like, you know, you see this character for five minutes tops and you just kind of like feel every word in context that he's saying. And yeah. you feel like his, you know, his anger and his melancholy and his desire to know what's going on. It, it's it's so great. But that, but, but yeah, that, but that line kind of, uh, that line kind of gets tapped in a bow because he just comes from uh, meeting with Tariq Khalil and he's mm-hmm. telling him, "My neighborhood's gonna get bulldozed for Channel View Estates," which I'm pretty sure is a fictional stand-in for Palos Verdes. I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. um, because there's Palos Verdes Estates. That's just a guess. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it would make sense since that's a very planned community right by the ocean, very mm-hmm. like 
kind of suburban sprawl e but like just for homes and shit you know and it's, it's out in of sight. the similar area. it's out of sight and it's in that similar south out. south beach area it's far out it's groovy we want to fuck to it i love that commercial in the movie <laughs> it's so good it does continue to kind of like dnd mattress man commercial but like you're, it's talking, about the, you're talking about the channel in the, the states ones right Yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Josh, that uh, Bigfoot stars in with a huge afro. <laughs> Which, not for nothing, but Josh Brolin is giving a hundred percent in this movie. Like he's giving three hundred percent. He is so in tune with this pathetic, hilarious character. Yes, yeah. I love the Bigfoot character in this movie so much. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole movie. So good. It's one of the best in PTA's entire body. And this movie, literally, you could talk for ten minutes about who is in this film. And Absolutely. you'll constantly surprise yourself from the first 30 minutes of this movie containing Jeannie Berlin, Michael K. Williams, Maya Rudolph, yeah. and, you know, just on and on and on and on and on. It's like, yeah. Catherine Holy Waterston, shit. you know, bumping Wa- in and out. With oh, oh, yeah. Shasta, you know, she comes in yeah. and out throughout the movie. But the, the mm-hmm. Martin Short's in this fucking movie, and he's <laughs> a fucking riot. I mean, it's, it's yeah, just an is. insane cast, and it just goes to show you that, like, you can do shit that's weird and you can do shit that is challenging for an audience people want to work with pta and they still want to work exactly you know it's such a funny um contradiction where it's like you're gonna get the hugest cast possible that you could ever want to see in a comedy and then you're gonna let pta do whatever the fuck he wants and he makes something very alienating yes (laughs) but you know if it rewarding if you you know stick with it or 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 if it's your work in or whatever or it's your vibe exactly if it fits exactly with what you find interesting or whatever but yeah it is so funny that like warner brothers is given this fucking tall order of like all right here's your cast make the biggest poster possible but can you convince anyone to watch this thing <laughs> and it, it was kind of a crapshoot for them and at the time not really <laughs> to be honest like not a lot of people yeah. went to this movie i don't have the nope. number in front of me i think it was a 20 million dollar budget and i think it made roughly 8 million i think so it didn't what, even make it- half yeah, exactly. And for like a low budget too. You know, PTA is like amazing at pulling off movies in the middle budget. And uh yeah, I wonder if I I wonder if Licorice Pizza made its money. I feel like it did. Uh I'll do a little I'll do a quick goog on that, but uh what else what else do you like about this movie? Gosh, golly gee darn shit. Um G darn my... fuckered fuckerton. Fucker. Josh my... Roland. Josh Brolin literally gags on the banana. Like he goes as far as to like do the little throat gag. I think it's fucking beautiful, beautiful work. Um, Yeah. Doc and Bigfoot's chemistry are perfect. I love their relationship. Every meeting they have is so funny and intense. And I love that you get like a little insight to Bigfoot's home life. Every time they're on the phone together, like about his kid or his wife or like just, it's so, it's so good. I have the um, uh, licorice pizza box office numbers here, according to IMDb Pro. Mm-hmm. It actually almost did break even. It didn't fully. It had about a forty million dollar estimated budget, and it worldwide gross of about thirty three point two million. Damn, which is more Damn. than I would have thought, to be honest. I agree. You. Yeah, exactly. It's like kind of a you know, good for him that he actually <laughs> like didn't didn't completely bomb again or whatever but, but i think i know, think that also has a lot to do with the pandemic and people wanting to go to the movies and shit like that yeah, and like these big yeah. event type shit of like oh we're gonna go we're gonna go see this <laughs> because yeah. because it's out and we can you know still a weird like you know weird world world we're living in that's like not fully recovered and is becoming its own specific kind of existence i guess 
And totally. I if, we'll, we'll talk about Phantom Thread later on, but... Um, yes, we're uh, going to get to it two weeks from now. I'll fucking get there. Um, I love that this movie's, like, uh, exploration of things with dual meanings, like words and symbols having, like, three different definitions, I think is really interesting. Kind of like um, the swastika is, like, you know, right. like, clearly there's a lot of Aryan Brotherhood and white power folks in this film. And then at one point, um, this motherfucker who... Is like it feels like he's trying to replace Christopher Evan Welch as a character actor. Jefferson Mays, he plays Doctor Three feebly. Okay. At the at, at the at the Chris Kyleton Institution, that guy with the crazy fucking John Daly face. You know what I'm talking about? Kind, not really, to be honest with he's you. He's the doctor. Kind of. he, he he's the doctor at the Chris Kyleton. Okay. And he just like has this really striking face. He, he he's kind of ugly. <laughs> he's kind of scary. Um, yeah, he's, he's amazing in there. Um, but yeah, he like points out that the swastika, you know, from a different angle is actually something like a, a symbol of peace and serenity or whatever, you know, for a different culture. I was and just about to say, I, I think of the swastika symbol originally was a native American symbol that was like, yeah, yeah community of some kind or something like that. I, Exactly. Or like something about the sun rising, I think. And also the Chris Skylodon, like the name of the institution, has two different definitions. One is literally like, you know, like a, a animal with animal tooth that's golden versus something else. You know, like it's 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 very interesting. And I think, again, this is all thanks to Thomas Pynchon. I think Paul Thomas totally. Anderson just kind of like realized how much beautiful context there is in this book. And he tried his best to keep it all in there so that if you are engaging with this movie and all of its puzzle pieces you're really you know paid for like you're really rewarded with everything tying into each other like this kind of like big metaphorical poetic puzzle and yeah i don't know i mean like thematically it's just gorgeous even though you can like break this thing down <laughs> in like a four-hour youtube video essay that kind of sucks or whatever <laughs> it, it would it would be bad <laughs> It would be, be really a really horrible video essay, to be honest. I'll watch the entire thing, but it'll be kind of bad for sure. Watching the entire thing stone faced, not saying anything to anyone, sitting still for four hours and then going, Well, that fucking sucked. <laughs> and slapping. I hated knee. that. That fucking sucked um, for me. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Okay. it's okay. Some some good little details here and there. I like at the Criscaladin that there's the security guards that are like dressed like Jesus and have Uzis and are just chasing around people who yeah. are running away from <laughs> from the institution. Um, I I think God, we can talk about Bigfoot so much. Like, which what, pick an actor in this movie and we can talk about them. Hong Chow, shout out to Hong Chow. Da- Downsizing's Hong Chow, so great in this movie. As um as Jade, not Bambi, Jade. Yes, exactly. Yeah, who kind of just like is wandering in and out of, of of the world of this movie. Very lovely, friendly presence in this film. I love hit her and Doc and Dina's having a like kind of just a, a a buddy thing going on. And like by the end of the movie, it's just like them hanging out, and they are the ones who are picking up the or dropping off the heroin stash for yeah. Jeff, uh, for Martin Donovan's character. I love that, you know, it's like the symbol of vertical integration and gentrification and world domination is this waspy family. And they're just taking boxes of heroin and putting it in their station wagon yeah. and driving off into the sunset. It's so it's it's a great little kind of gag in itself. Um, I like when uh, the- I like when Bigfoot eats the ashtray or the like weed thing at yep. the very end Huge. of the movie. That's one of the most insane things that happens in the entire movie. 
It's true. And it was also, I think, funnier by proxy of Joaquin Phoenix's reaction. Oh, yeah. He's crying and has his hand in his face. Just completely, like, completely aghast at, like, I can't believe this is happening in front of me. I also think the line read of when Bigfoot kicks down the door. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Doc is like, Bigfoot, you kicked down my door. Come on, man. What are you doing? And then they they, they, they know (laughs) they have this kind of, like, buddy buddy rapport it's kind of like the i'm the hippie you're the cop we're kind of you know like it's you and me we're like you know and we're they're adversaries they're and we more, like how it is they're more or less two sides of the same coin in the sense that yeah. he's he's a private investigator i mean which is not completely dissimilar to a lot of the work that happens like in the rest of the movie by like an institution of these cops you know he Definitely just happens not, yeah. to be like the 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 rogue quote-unquote good guy you know in this yeah. whole mess he doesn't have to commit as many civil rights violations as Bigfoot proudly proclaims several that. times throughout the movie. <laughs> I love that he says yeah. that. He's like, after a long day of committing civil rights violations, thought I'd pop by or something like that. <laughs> and he's proud of it, you know, or at least yeah. pretends to be proud of it in the moment. Yeah. I will say there's a lot of lines in this movie and a lot of gags in this movie. It It's kind of like Punch Drunk Love where PTA kind of squashes the punchline and kind of like leaves it for you to kind of catch on your own in the background or for you to like really hear the words that people are saying and kind of like, like let it wash over you and kind of feel the, like the humor in it from multiple angles and and dimensions. I think like, even like Michael K. Williams says at one point, like besides Glenn, I never really liked the company of Nazis. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, he says it in such a, yeah, exactly. He like he he has his actors really kind of just like live through the punchlines as opposed to like yuck it up for, for the sake of the joke or whatever, which I think is rewarding upon repeat viewings for sure as for well. For sure. Like this I was like writing down so many lines in this movie because they're all making me laugh or making me think. Um I love 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 whenever we look at Doc's notebook and he's like writing down yes. notes about the thing. The the ultimate one, the ultimate joke in this movie I think is when he hears the name of an institution. It's a it's a Spanish name and he literally writes down something Spanish. Yes. <laughs> that's it's yes. all he can think to write. Yes. Yes. Those are some really yeah. good moments where it's just it's all it's complete subjectivity in this film. Yeah. It's complete totally. subjectivity oh. of Doc. Yeah. The ultimate, I mean I I love when this movie dips into that kind of realm too. I mean that's I think the Bigfoot thing. But one that was in the trailer and fucking still kills me is when Jenna Malone hands Doc a picture of their baby um, during its like worst times. And oh, right. Doc literally looks at it and screams yes. like he's in a fucking Zucker Abrams Zucker movie or yes. something. And like no one reacts to it. It is just kind of this like, you're like, ah! and then he like he gives it away, pretends he's fine, you know. And I love when she's like talking about how when they met Owen Wilson's character um he was shitting she vomited he had a boner <laughs> and you cut, you cut to walking phoenix and he's like nodding sympathetically <laughs> like there's just a lot of very playful little i don't know things in this that are are funny but they're not you know like they're funny and they're not played for laughs they're played as they're played as straight as humanly possible yeah which yeah god it's such a fascinating piece of alchemy and it's one that continuously uh, challenges anyone who's trying to make money off of movies, which is, you know, uh, hey, fuck it. Who cares? These are amazing films, in my opinion. Um, some pretty obvious shit, but worth bringing up. Uh, the movie looks amazing. The movie has mm-hmm. uh, every single color is at play in this yep. movie. The design choices, the color palette, and the 
execution of said, the tie room sequence is pretty intoxicating when they're in the uh, tie oh, room, yeah. not only just looking at all the different ties, but sort of how that scene sort of goes, because it ends up becoming sort of a seduction moment, right? At least yeah. for one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Doc is seduced several times in this film. I think that's a, there's a very interesting meta structure, or at least it's like a kind of a small, like, you know, narrative game of Doc continuously being flirted with, but being unable totally. to... Yep. release essentially until until one of the wildest and erotic most erotic scenes that pta has ever made short of phantom thread where shasta returns in like the end of the second act of this movie yes and and essentially teases him and hypnotizes him in the nude and pushes urges him to um you know engage with her uh physically and I remember seeing this movie with a with a girlfriend at the time, and it was it's such a shocking and visceral sex scene that it kind of can read as something scarier, stronger than you know, like two people engaging in a romantic you know re- reunion or whatever. Because it is just I don't know, like there's it's so intense, and sh- you know you don't know where Shas has been, and she's talking about. Uh, how she's been like used and uh, you know treated like a, a pet. She might she says she might as well have been wearing a leash when she was hanging right. out with Mickey, Mickey Wolfman and all of his friends and stuff. And then they have this really intense sex scene. <laughs> it happens very quickly, honestly. And I remember just like yeah, it being so shocking when it happens. But in hindsight, I mean, this past viewing, it's like it's it just plays as really beautiful and sexy and intense. <laughs> I don't know. It's and like they, uh, and they kind of get that one last. That's kind of their one last real thing at a certain level. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, I was talking to Grant last night and he said that in the book, the movie, the story ends with Doc by himself right. driving into the fog. Yeah. But I do find it interesting that this movie, in, you know, a series of grace notes that PTA gives to his characters, I love that he kind of gets to say goodbye to this relationship with Shasta. You know, and there's like there's such a loss of literal what is going to happen to these people. There's yeah. no like, you know, like this happened to this character. This happened to this character. It is this movie. It lingers on the feeling like, God, what the hell is going to happen? We don't know. Things will end or whatever. But I do love the ending of this film being like these two kind of saying goodbye to the special thing that they had and acknowledging that it is going to end. And they're both in the fog together and Doc sees the sun. He sees the, he sees the sun through a little yeah. patch of a uh, of fogginess. So PTA can't even help himself, but give a happy ending again, you know, totally. like that's just, well, it's, it's, that's actually, I, I don't know if I would say it's a hap- it's, it's a bittersweet ending. I don't know if it's a happy That's a better ending. word for it. it you, there can't be a happy ending in this movie. This movie is about destruction, you know, and it's about decay. So it yes. is like, you know, it's it's like the 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 wistful, the, the any hope of melancholy, any hope you can find within melancholy, I think is what this movie lands on eventually, which is beautiful because it's such a complicated feeling when you're in the middle of sadness and grieving and being unsure of life and whatnot and being able to land on anything that kind of gives you this like upswell, anything that like pushes you back totally. up into being alive again. And I love that he kind of synthesizes that into a moment and a mute and a needle drop, honestly, yeah. you know, I want to, I want to, we're going to talk about the needle drops big time here later, but we whoever, are. I mean, I have to imagine PTA was, you know, 
extremely involved, if not the leading force in picking all the needle drops. But you oh, gotta yeah. you gotta shout out the Linda Cohen, who is the music supervisor in this movie, because on a technical level, that is part of the job description is to be like, I think we should put this song here. Basically, yeah. is, I think this song would work really well here. That's like part of the job, and so. It, the movie, this movie has insane needle drops all over the yeah, place. Really, some of the best in great, his entire filmography. It's an amazing return to form. I mean, in hindsight, um, the master has actual period appropriate needle drops as well. But after totally. coming from the guy who made Boogie Nights, this was a really lovely return to like, all right, let's play with contextual music because yep. you've seen what he does in Boogie Nights and Magnolia with lyrics in music and with For characters. Sure. And he does that again here, you know, like any day now is one of the most beautiful ending songs he could have picked. Yes. Um, and they're ugh, fucking the title card of this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Just the drop dude, and then inherent vice. It's that is one yeah. of those bone chilling parts of the whole movie. Totally. Because oh, I'll that, just, I'll that ending. Sorry, Neil Young. Oh, yeah. The Neil. I mean, Journey to the Past and all that other shit. Yeah. But um, the, the reason the ending is that this movie, because correct me if I'm wrong, I actually rewound it and I still can't fully understand what they're saying, but I'm pretty sure I the just last... rewound it before we started recording. Too. I was like, what the fuck are they talking? About? And I think I think what they say is and I could be wrong, but I think Doc says to her, like, any chance we're getting back together? And she's like, no, I think that's what they say. But then there's like that little and then there's that moment where, oh, he's kind of OK with it. You know, the, yeah. that moment where it's like, yeah, the light peeks through or whatever, and he's okay with That's at least how I interpret the movie, or at least that ending, at least on a purely literal level of like, is that actually what they are literally, is that the lines that they're saying? But it's so muffled, but that's the vibe at least I get. It's like, if we're going down, you know, at least we're going to share this moment together. And like, there is a little bit of acceptance on Doc's level of like, because the entire movie has just been him. Fuck! Why can't I be with this person? Fuck! Yeah. Why didn't this fucking work? Fuck! And then he gets a little moment of acceptance at the end. I do love that a lot of the plot progression in this movie does happen because he is looking for Shasta, and it ruins like Bigfoot's career sometimes. Like he kind of like right. it, like his his ideas and stuff are pushing for this like conspiracy because he's looking for Shasta, and then Shasta in the end kind of comes back home without any of his help. But yeah, the ending, I rewound it also because I was like trying to figure out what's happening. They literally are talking about Joanna Newsom's character at the beginning of that scene. And they're like, they're, they're talking oh, about the Ouija okay. board and stuff. And they're like, I thought she was just setting us up. And and um, Shasta says something to the effect of like, she knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And uh, and the ending lines after, the, after that weird little contextual observation or whatever they basically kind of sarcastically agree, like, you know, like this doesn't mean we're getting back together. And they both smile. And you're right. It is like the the beauty and hope that comes in accepting things that have happened and negative things, especially too. Yeah. And that the fact that you can move on, like um Clancy Charlock says, played by Belladonna, a uh, porn star. Um, she right. says, like, you know, there's only so much time you can spend. You know, God, I have the line here. It's it's so it's such a convoluted line of dialogue, but it's very beautifully spoken. Well, as someone who's been down this particular exit ramp, you can only cruise the boulevards of regret so far, and then you got to get back up onto the freeway again. And that's I feel like that's kind of the whole ending, basically. It's just like him realizing, like, all right, I can move on now, and 100%. he just like moves on again. Yeah. Uh, I want to move on to Fast Facts oh. and oh, and uh, awards 
But if you are going to do that thing where you look at your notes and you go, I'm going to got so much other things to say, pick like three more things and then we need to move on because we cannot be here. We cannot be here much longer. Um, the Martin Donovan scene is really weird. Um, that's that's just something I want to say. Um, oh. he does the he does his car door shot. PTA does his shot where he has a camera on the car door as it closes. Which part? Um, when it's uh, after the it's when Martin Short and Japonica and Dennis and and uh, Doc are all getting in the car to start okay. driving. Yeah, and and he does that thing where the camera's attached to the car door as they 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 close in on it. Hashtag um, uh, shitty hashtag shitty rigs. Shitty rigs, baby, and um, the American dream is a failure. Perfect. <laughs> Fast facts. Okay. It was first reported in December 2010 that Anderson wanted to adapt Inherent Vice. At the time, yep. he had been writing a treatment and started a script after the master had been shelved indefinitely months prior. Anderson originally adapted the entire 384-page novel sentence by sentence, yep. which made it easier for him to cut down the script than the novel. That is, we mentioned it earlier, that is insane. I feel yeah, like I say that Chris... every episode about something, <laughs> and that's the one for me this time is, that's insane. But clearly yeah. it is the most faithful, loyal adaptation that he's done thus far, and he truly just wanted to exist in the pension world, as you said. That's what he yeah. cared about the most, is I want to bring to life this world that I love so much that already exists on the page. Yeah. he If, if he wants to get as much of it onto the screen as possible, that's the best way to do it. And I think, as my friend Chris, our friend Chris says, uh, that's insane cokehead behavior. It is. <laughs> it does feel like something that the guy who made Magnolia and Boogie Nights would do. But I think it I think it completely pays off. Clearly. Have you heard it's, that he's like writing like a 900 page script with his daughter or something like that? Have you heard that little like anecdote? I love it. Where they just like keep adding to it. It just like keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Something to that effect. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like, yeah, the man's willing to just man's willing to claw himself tooth and nail to the finish line on a script by any means necessary. Yeah. And I'm just so amazed that he manages to create such coherent visions for the most part when it comes yeah. to like paring down these massive stories, you know? Um, but then he kind of takes a break with that an inherent vice. And I don't say that as an insult. I, th I mean, that movie feels like more of a, a like experiment and stretching his arms and legs and his, his heart in a weird way. Well, you know, what's interesting like... is that it, it is his first ensemble movie in a minute. Sorry. I meant licorice pizza. Did I say inherent vice? But anyway, you did say um, inherent vice. That's okay though. I meant licorice pizza, but you go on. I'm sorry. I was just about to say this, Although the master is technically an ensemble film, it's really a two-hander, you know, about yeah, yeah. about uh, Lancaster and Freddie. Uh, a three, two and a half-hander, if you want to give Amy Adams more credence. Well, but, I mean, you can, but it, the movie, I don't think the movie suggests it enough, to be honest with you. I think like a little, yeah, it's it's it, mm, it, it's. It's on. It's in the fringes on purpose. A, it's, a it's on. It's in the fringes. It's like, oh, he's actually a puppet for her, but you know, uh, right, right. But then, like, this does have the ensemble feel of a Magnolia or a Boogie Nights, but with the newfound cryptic opaqueness and yes weirdness of what the master has cracked open for him. So in Definitely. a way, it's the it's a blend 
of those two things, but obviously I think he's pouring more from the new cup than the old cup. But it's interesting Mm -hmm. that that is the case. I agree. I fully agree. Yeah, there is a world where this could be more of a straightforward comedy. I mean, like, even in the trailer, there's, like, a gag where an ambulance gurney collapses on itself and a body falls to the ground. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, yes. it is, like, pure... Like, when he was going into this film, he was thinking about Zucker Abrams Zucker and talking about how much he loved Ted. <laughs> and... I Hey, and you know what? He's, uh, that, gets, that, gets, that, gets, that gets this. That gets Bye-bye. this. That gets uh, a. <laughs> it gets the other shit, one. It gets man. the other one. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love yeah, that. He bro. would love. Well, actually, I'm going to introduce you to something new in the categories that I didn't tell you about. But yes, we love. Oh, we love my that he loves Ted. God. Yeah. Funny show <laughs> to me. Ugh. Uh, this is the first film adaptation of a Pynchon novel, with Anderson describing it, quote, like a Cheech and Chong movie. Years prior, Anderson considered adapting the novel Vineland, from ni- uh, the 1990 mm. novel Vineland by Pynchon, but could not figure out how. When Inherent Vice came out, he was drawn to it and wrote the film concurrently with the master, as we stated before. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's previous venture into adapting a novel, There Will Be Blood, diverted greatly from its source. By contrast, this is a very close adaptation. Robert Downey Jr. was reportedly interested in the role of Larry Doc Sportello and was making plans to start shooting in fall of 2011 since he had dropped out of Oz (laughs) the Great and Powerful. (laughs) Um, Downey Jr. stated in December 2011 that the planned collaboration was probably true. What the fuck does that mean? It was probably true. I think Robert Downey Jr. just being fucking sarcastic, little stinker like his dad. Being sort of stinky, uh, stinky fuck. Uh, in January 2013, it was reported that Phoenix was in talks for the lead and that Downey Jr. had ultimately passed on the role. Downey Jr. later stated that uh, Anderson wanted to make the film of Phoenix because he felt that Downey Jr. was a bit too old. And too here's, old, yeah. Too old. Here's something. I don't know if you knew this. Michael Shannon and Jim Carrey were originally considered for the role of Bigfoot. Wow. That oh. just make you come. Does that just make you Howard Ratner come a little yeah, bit? Yeah, a little. Can you, see, can you play that for me? Yeah, I can. Ready? Holy shit, I'm going to come. That's like Adam Sandler in Inglorious Bastards level of like, boy, what could have been. Yeah, if Jim Carrey had been like Bjorn, that would be. Ima- yeah. That would be fucking oh. crazy. I'm imagining the alternate universe where after there will be blood, there's no need for a wait to make the master. He maybe makes it with Jeremy Renner. Uh, in in his post uh, Hurt Locker state, you know, and then he makes inherent vice with Robert Downey Jr., Charlize Theron, and Jim Carrey or Michael Shannon. Like, what the fuck? Would be fuck? it would be entirely different. There's no way around it. It would just be so different. I I mean, Josh Brolin's like perfect, and like the thing is, I I know that both those other actors could bring their own unique, heartbreaking spins to that character too to totally. make him. A million, like, like also funny, but also pathetic. Like, the th- so the way oh, that the way it. that Josh Brolin plays him in this movie is is sort of the jock meathead that doesn't yeah. realize how much destruction he actually does and how much of like yeah. a he thinks that he's like alpha dog when in mm-hmm. reality he is cog in the machine and he has no idea. Yeah. You know, Renaissance cop. He's like he's proud of being 
the top dog in the breed, you know? And even yes. though he is he is a dog and he's like upset about it. And he has he he has a mountain of therapy bills that could be attributed specifically to Doc Sportello. Yes, and he can't he for some reason Doc knows just where the buttons are because it's almost like he's jealous of Doc's ability to be like a better crime fighter or a better yeah. investigator or whatever. And exactly. he's doing it completely on accident. Yeah. And also his acting career is not taking off as much as he wants it to. True. Very true. That's also, it's always, I always forget about that, but then I think about the commercial and I'm like, that is fucking gold. That is, that is such a I love, commercial. I, this is like something like, it's so subtle, but like uh, Brolin's acting in that episode of Adam 12, where you see Bigfoot just on screen looking just really uncomfortable yes. <laughs> as an extra is really sweet. It's so funny to see him just like shuffling around his, his TV cop outfit and stuff. It's 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 so great. Such an interesting dimension to that character. We love it. We I love, love it. it. I don't care. I love it. In September 2014, it was reported that Pynchon may have a cameo in the film, which Anderson mm -hmm. would not confirm, citing Pynchon's choice to stay out of the public spotlight. Brolin yeah. went as far as to confirm the cameo and claimed that Pynchon was on set, but that nobody knew it was him. And he stayed in a corner the entire time. I believe it. Some say that he's in the, I don't want to say the party, but when we first go into uh, Koi's house that he's yes. in, you know, or is that a party? Am I allowed to call that a yeah, party? Yeah, it's like a house. It's like a house party, but I know exactly what you mean. I think it's the scene. If I were to wager a guess, and I think I might've seen people talk about this on like IMDB forums before they were yes. shut down. But like it, it's the scene where Doc and Coy are talking at that like booth. I think that's and where like he people, is too. people yeah. in the background, and there's like there's like maybe one guy just kind of lingering in the background for a moment. Yeah, I would um, agree. I, th I would, he, if I were to wa wager a guess, I would also bet that as well. Speaking of IMDb forums, I remember I didn't ever write anything on IMDb forums because I was pretty young, like when that happened, and like I just moved immediately went to Letterboxd as like my place, you know. Sure. But I remember that occasionally I would see the same guy pop up as like a top rated <laughs> reviewer. And he started mm -hmm. all of his reviews as hello again from the darkness. And I just yeah. thought that, that was so cringe to yes. do that. But it's a very specific, it's like a 35 year, 40 year old who like was really into Kevin Smith at the time. Like is doing uh, something it like was that. It was such a pure time and also being on forums was such a special kind of thing before the internet kind of blew up and then forums became, you know, like the, like the, the mainstream realm, like with Reddit and stuff like that. Yeah. And even there was Twitter, such a, which is the world's message yes, board. Yeah, exactly. There was such a pomp and circumstance. It was so, it was so cute because everyone had their fucking like their art in their, in their signatures on the forum and yes. stuff. And they have their animated, you know, icons and everything. Like it was, and you know, even like catchphrases and stuff like that. Like it's, it's so pure and so silly in hindsight. And I do have empathy for folks like that. Cause I was absolutely in that realm as totally. well. Just loved being online before then being online was like the only thing you can do. And now it <laughs> sucks. And I hate being on Twitter <laughs> and I'm happy that I am not on Twitter anymore, but I feel like I replaced my instincts of going on Twitter with weirder instincts and YouTube we'll, shorts we'll move on from there <laughs> you, sh shouts out YouTube shorts just uh shouts out TNT amusements on YouTube watching and learning how arcade machines work let's get out of this so let's let's keep talking about an air I used every McDonald's bathroom on the west side <laughs> I took a shit at the McDonald's in the Burbank airport uh that's the TikTok voice 
Uh, that's I'm gonna do the new TikTok voice. Uh, in one of the right. scenes, uh, okay, one of the scenes featuring Petunia Leeway, Maya Rudolph, the Minnie mm-hmm. Ripperton song Les Fleurs, I definitely mm-hmm. butchered that, can be heard Le playing Fleur. on the soundtrack. Le Fleur. Minnie Ripperton, who sings that song, is Maya's mother. So true, bestie. Additionally, the song was co-written by her father, songwriter Richard Rudolph. And that gets this. And that song believe, is also used in Us. I be- yes, it is. And also an amazing episode of Atlanta Season 3. Um, oh, fuck, I forgot to finish Atlanta Season 3. I love Atlanta. In, I do too. It's in, it's the ending of The Big Payback. But also, I believe there's a My Rudolph um, anecdote on like Conan or something where she was talking about how PTA was so excited to show her, like, look, your mom's playing in the background while you're on screen. <laughs> And she's like, whatever, sure. <laughs> she said, shut the fuck up and make the kids dinner. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's kind of cool, actually. It's probably the perfect relationship. Uh, this film features showbiz connections that are inherently vice-like in their twinning. Ready for this? Including mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix, the brother of the late River Phoenix. Owen Wilson, brother of Luke Wilson. Mm-hmm. Eric Roberts, brother of Julia Roberts. Uh, Serena Scott Thomas, sister of Kristen Scott Thomas, or I don't know the last name, but it's Serena Thomas for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Catherine Waterston, daughter of Sam Waterston. Mm-hmm. Josh Brolin, son of James Brolin. Jeannie mm-hmm. Berlin, daughter of Elaine May. Shout out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanna Newsom, wife of Andy Samberg. And Maya mm-hmm. Rudolph, partner of Paul Thomas Anderson. So mm-hmm. very cool and fun. Love the context. It's so cool. It's, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's great. And that Berlin's so cool. Yeah, I actually didn't know it was her at first, to be honest with you. I mm-hmm. had to, I had to get I had to look up who is that? Who's playing Aunt is it Aunt Veet? Aunt, Aunt Pete? V? Aunt V or B yeah, I guess uh, something like that. Amanda Pete, I think is the, the character's name. Her name is uh Finkerton. Aunt Reet. That's even worse somehow. <laughs> that is yeah. that's way worse, actually. Aunt yeah. Reet. Yep. Um, well, it's time for you, me, and Aunt Reet to do some awards. Is that cool? Yeah. Oh. I'm eating fart. Okay. Rocky, what's your favorite scene? Boy, how do you pick, you know? Uh, I think my favorite scene in this film is probably... Noah, go first. (laughs) I'm not as big on this movie as Rocky is, so this is not as hard for me, to be honest with you. My favorite scene, and it's been my favorite scene every single time, with the exception of maybe the time I watched it in the theater where I really, really enjoyed the uh, Owen Wilson returning home to his family sequence a lot and that kind of conversation they have. You know, like that's, that's up there for me. But continually, my favorite moment in this entire movie is the Ouija board running in the rain to Duh. Journey in Duh. the Past by Neil Young. Duh. That is Duh. that that is that if even if you don't like this movie, you can't deny the power of that moment. That is such a fucking powerful, beautiful, warm moment in this moment of just like pure confusion from Doc. You break away from the present and get this flashback. So 
that is my favorite scene in this entire film and Neil Young doing some great uh, additional uh, contextual and emotional uh, lifting in that moment. Yeah, at the expense of just fully ripping you off there, I'm going to say that or <laughs> or um, Bigfoot uh, eating the eating the, the shit. The weed. Yeah, the shit at the that's end, a great yeah. that's a great moment too. I mean, this that any interaction between them is is up there as well. You could also say that the Martin Short escapade I think is a really really like standout moment. Just that whole moment where like they meet and then they go and then they get pulled over. Just that whole thing is very like screwball in my opinion. So mm-hmm. that moment's great. Yep. But yeah, easy easy pick for me uh, as the journey to the past sort of Ouija board flashback. Ouija board. Witcher board, Rocky. What's your favorite shot? Boy, there's a couple. Okay. I mean, there's Doc entering the police station and getting shoved to the ground. Yep, that's one of mine. There's, yeah, any extended crossfade, like Sword of Liege in the beginning with Shasta entering Doc's house for the first time. Um, the title card is great. And then I think the, old, the one I'm, I'm going to pick is when Doc is approaching Chick Planet and you see like the kind of car dealership flags sure. flying up above him. I think those things are used beautifully, especially when he passes out and then wakes up and they're like above him and you hear like harps playing as you see them kind of flailing in the yes. wind and stuff. Like, yeah, I think that's such a, a beautiful piece of texture in this film. My favorite, I also really like the, sh- the, the, the following shot behind. That's such a classic PTA uh, like sh- follow shot from behind, you know, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's so we love that That's signature PTA, but my favorite shot in the movie is when he wakes up after being conked out in the pussy palace and he wakes up mm-hmm. and it's the way it's framed, the composition of him waking yeah. up and you realize, Oh my God, there's like 50 cops surrounding him right now yes. in that dirt yeah. field. Just that is such an awesome. I love the composition of that moment. So that probably yeah. gets my ding, ding, ding award. Okay. Bing bong, bro. Bing bong. F- uh, fuck your life. Right? Bing, yes. Bing yes. bong. Fuck your life. Holy shit. I'm going to Bing bong. Fuck your life. Uh, that guy's related to Howard Ratner, the bing bong guy. That guy. Yeah, he knows him. He knows him personally. He's like, I still exactly. go see that motherfucker every day of my life. I'm, we- I'm weird. <laughs> he says, I'm weird. <laughs> I'm a weird guy. <laughs> I'm just so fucking weird with it, bro. Oh, uh, yeah. favorite line. My favorite line is, does it ever end? Of course it does. It did. Damn. Great line. Yeah. Who says that? I, to, uh, who says that? That is, is it- Joanna Newsom, whose performance in this film is one of the best things PTA has ever directed. <laughs> Damn. That is a great moment. Sort of is just so wonderful in this film, and I love everything that she says because it is it is like a beautiful adaptation of of Pinchon's prose and you know internal monologuing and stuff as Doc. I think it's so good. Do you think if you were a betting man, do you think that that's Pinchon PTA or a mixture of the two? And probably clearly a mixture of the two, but I think that's his excuse to get a lot of what's going on in the book out there as verbatim as possible because it's like, how can you give up some of this writing? You know, sure. you, you might as well kind of like give it to a character and give it to one of your favorite voices ever and let them kind of like, you know, narrate the film in a way. My favorite line is the entire uh, basically s- moment when he enters the pussy eater palace place. And they just have that back and forth 
about are you a cop and he's like the pussy no. eater special the pussy yeah, eater special and then he's like well what about for private eyes because you know that he wants it just the way he delivers that line mm-hmm. of like well can a private eye count like can i use this <laughs> in this moment you know i love that yeah. just that whole back and forth so i'll give it not you long brain yeah that whole sequence is really really funny and I love the little do- the door near the vagina and like you're just staring at it, waiting for it to happen. And then it opens. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. Right. Best hmm. musical moment. Well, if it ain't Journey Through the Past, it's probably Vitamin C by uh, Can for the opening title. Okay, sure. Just a, a beautiful piece of paranoic, you know, kraut rock. And I love that it, it like is extended for like nine minutes through the opening of the movie. Um, but Johnny Greenwood has some really beautiful psychedelic rock tracks in this for sure. And um, but he's not the emphasis little... this time. He, it's no, the no, he's not score. exactly. And you hear a little bit of "What a Wonderful World" by Sam Cooke during the um, the 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 heroin transaction, which was the song for the trailer at the end of it and oh, right. made me made me so happy during the inherent vice trailer so i'm glad they kind of kept that song in there a little bit um but yeah it would go to any of those but journey through the past is just like that is you know even if you aren't a fan of this movie but i love pta movies that's the moment that you like the most because totally. it is like it, it's it's where you feel the most connection to the guy who made boogie nights and magdolia yeah. that's probably why it's my favorite part of the fucking movie and that's fine it's not you're not you're not, you're not worse off for that you know no it is just the most clear and uncomplicated expression of sweetness, you know? Yes. Them sitting in the rain and him just kind of like kissing her all over is just, you know, unbearably lovely. And the editing in that sequence is brilliant as well. Just the, how mm-hmm. we get there and how it's very, it's very stark how we get there. They don't like set up a flashback. They just sort of do mm-hmm. it as far as I yeah. remember. And then just how it's cut together and the narration over of like, you know, they never did score that day, but you know, X, Y, and Z, like they like had a great time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love uh sortily saying as they're running away, like that's the problem with Ouija boards and they, they, oh, like, that, yeah. she, she leaves it at that. And it's, yeah, it's just like, it's about our brains, man. Oh, I don't know. I love this movie. All right, moving on. Um, I'm going to give it to Journey to the Past, obviously, as well, yeah. but then right there with it is the final needle drop. It's pretty bone-chilling. Yeah, it's pretty, 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 pretty great. Pretty good. Luis Guzmán, Humanitarian Award for Underrated Element. Well, first of all, I was going to say uh, yes. there's a category that you you cut out from these awards at the beginning of this podcast, and I want to bring it back for this. It's the Who's Missing uh, uh, Oh, award. yes, the, who, the Who's Missing Award, who should have been in the movie, who isn't. Luis Guzmán. <laughs> Yeah, he easily could have easily could have been in this movie. I'm saying, like Luis Guzman could have been anywhere in this movie, and it would have been good. But anyway, um, and that's my answer too. There you go. Mark Wahlberg could have, been this, could have been in this movie. Yes, he should have. I mean, the theory he's, fight, down, he, like, he's stopping a plane like a hijacking in the air, and it's not part of the yeah. movie at all. <laughs> um, I do want to shout out Jeannie Berlin and Hong Chow. I think they're wonderful, but also Eric Roberts in his one scene is sure. so. So, 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 so curious and mysterious and filled with like three emotions. And they're like, they're all battling over the control of his body. And it's very, it's such a uh, kind of scary performance to watch, but in a a really good, intense scene. It is Um, scary. It is a, it's a, it is sort of a man possessed moment, similar to a plain view or something like that. Definitely, yeah. But I I, I think that's, that, uh, that sequence is underrated in my opinion. 
sort of him a, in that sequence. Sort of a sort of a. I don't know if I don't know about this. I I do know about this answer, but I think it's not something you would expect me to say. I'm giving it to the architecture of L.A. at the time. Yeah, totally. It's yeah, just all like, the buildings are awesome. It's just like great buildings everywhere. I love architecture, even though I don't know a lot about it. I just love mm-hmm. the way a building can, you know, say something, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yes. And the way a building can say something about a city or the city can say something about a building and vice versa. And I think that it's similar to how in the beginning they talk about, you know, the – um, Mexicans got ran out of Chavez Ravine to build Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. and uh, Native Americans got shot out of Bunker Hill to build the music center and now Tariq and all his all his uh, family is getting run out of you know that land to build um, Channel View Est- is it Channel View Estates right yeah Channel, Channel View Estates. Estates buildings and places are so important in this movie you know and each one has their own distinct flavor and even from the outside you know like that time when he goes in the the fucking the parker center where he like that shot where he's walking into the police station is a beautiful building that building Mm -hmm. where the martin short whole shit happens and he walks up upon that beautiful building the pussy palace is like an amazing built like they're just amazing buildings in around this time the fact they're either able to recreate them or find them is fucking what makes kind of the devils in the details moment of this movie for me so i'm giving it to the architecture yeah, beautifully made film. I mean, the the fact that they can create these locations or, you know, make them come to life at all is really, really, really special. And we love them for it. I do. Okay, I love them too. Rocky, now it's your friend for your favorite part of the show. Character so most tired. likely to say, yup. It's Sanch. Okay, good answer. I was actually, I'm giving this to, to Bigfoot. I think I could hear Bigfoot give a good old yup. Yeah, yeah, but okay, but mo- move on to the next category. Character most likely to say swag or swag 9000. Bigfoot Bjornsson. <laughs> I got, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. Uh, I'll give that one to Doc Sportello. It's just like when he's on the phone saying like, she has to face, she's gone, man. She's out there. That's Swag 9000, man. <laughs> you can hear, I can hear him uttering that on the phone. Like trying to like relate to a hippie, but just not being yeah. able to at all. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. But I'll give it to Doc Sportello. Just like okay. a very hazy Swag or Swag 9000. Just, that's Swag 9000, man. Yeah. That's, that's Swag. That's No, Swag. Swag, swag 9000. <laughs> uh, and then character most likely to say, Yikey, uh-oh. I give this one to, to Sancho. Uh, Martin Short. Do, uh, Dr. Rudy Blatnoid. Yeah, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Thank you. And Thank now you. My, for my new category, what? character most likely to have watched Family Guy. Um, <laughs> It's probably Doc, right? I was no, going to say I'm, Doc or Bigfoot is who I was going to say. Yeah. I think the, the, you can... I, I can hear them having an argument over the phone and being like, wait, do you have family guy on the background? <laughs> it's like that. It's like that scene in Talladega nights with John C. Riley. And then we're like, is this how this house haunted? And he's like, I think this house is fucking haunted. It's just that. Between them. And doc is like, God damn that baby fucking talking. So fucking funny to me. And he's like, I'm more of a Definitely. quagmire guy. <laughs> he would be cop. <laughs> cop would be like giggity goo, and he's like, "That's funny." <laughs> it's funny, sort of funny. but yeah, I said sort of I said Doc or or Bigfoot is who I said for that one. 
Mm-hmm. And that we are going to unfortunately we are going to have to retroactively do that for every single movie uh, in the, yeah, in the final episode. So just be ready for that. Uh, I'm on it. Rocky, what's the most PTA PART of this fucker? Uh, it's um, you know, I've I mentioned several scenes before. It's Eric Roberts scene. It's Bigfoot eating weed scene. It's the sex scene. I think is kind of my like standout pick for sure. Um, but also it's that it's in the um the house that Koi and his band are staying in when Doc and Koi are having a conversation, and it ends with him saying, "You have to find Shasta Fay," and and. Joaquin Phoenix is literally like sitting paralyzed, shaking and tears coming out of his eyes as the music is kind of swelling and like rising and rising and rising like that that is very that that's like the most, you know, that that specific mystery flavor of PTA's work. I think that that's like a great prime example of that. I I had a really hard time with this one, to be honest with you. I really it's hard for me to identify it because to me, this feels on its head, on its surface, so far away from what I know mm-hmm. about this man. But sure. when you look deeper, you realize like, oh, it's all that shit's still there. It's just not obvious, you know, like mm-hmm. at first glance. So I don't really know. I guess I would have to say the needle drops to me are some yeah, of the things definitely. that feel the most PTA. Because like you said, like that's a very early stage career move of his. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it again here just with a little more tact we'll say possibly sure and it's all like as good as anything in those first three movies for for four movies or whatever totally like yeah i think the needle drops are definitely like the most recurring pta thing about this film for sure yup but there's kind of some new patterns arising and that's a yup for me that's a yup for me baby uh where does this rank in the pta ranking scale for you chef uh, currently, it is. It's number three. It's pretty high. It's above There Will Be Blood and below The Master. And I'm thinking about it. And I, I mean, I, I, I keep on saying this. I really do think that Inherent Vice. There will be blood and boogie nights are all kind of tied. Like they're they're kind of interchangeable three through five for me in terms of PTA's sure. movies. Yeah, but the real wild card is going to be with Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza. I think we'll see how we'll see how they recontextualize in my brain. For now, I got to put this one um, right above the last place. For <laughs> truthfully, uh, ouch! It's just. Oh! My oh, yep. This is a personal attack on you. Um, oh, oh, I hate your ass. Oh, I'm gonna kick your ass to hell, you fucker. I'm so fucking. I'm gonna lose it, man. I'm gonna lose my mind that my friend doesn't agree with me on a hundred percent of the things that I think and feel. Fuck. Guess we're not friends. Guess yep. we're not friends anymore. Yep. Guess this is it. Guess this is the end of the podcast for us. Um, just kind of comes down to this. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think this is a bad movie at all, actually. It's just a movie that I don't care that much about. Really. Like, that's really what it comes down to. I'm like, if I'm going to watch a PTA movie, it's not going to be this one. It, I have uh, most of his other movies to pick from. 
it's I got to be in either the right mindset, you know, or I really got to start late in life experimenting with drugs or something like that. But, you know, I don't have it. I don't have a taste for this as much. I'm not a huge noir guy. I'm really not a huge incoherence guy in terms of that's something I don't really like that much. Um, I just think it all depends on what you want out of a movie. And not just, and I don't like, again, I don't think this is a bad movie. It's just a movie that I'm never going to reach for ultimately. Like if I'm, if the mood strikes, you know, if I want to watch a noir, I'd probably go for something else. If I want to watch a acid detective story, I'd probably go for something else as well. So, and I, you know, there's other stuff. People love shit that I don't like as much. And I love shit that people don't like as much. So it really just comes down to taste at that level. But for me, Second from second from the bottom, whatever that means. But I, we'll do a full I, re-rank. I agree with you. I, I understand where you're coming from. And in, in hindsight, I do feel like like there will be Blood and Boogie Nights over Inherent Vice are kind of so accessible in terms of the beauty and the excitement and the new things that he's doing or trying out in his filmmaking. That like, I agree. In terms of if I wanted to watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie right now, I probably wouldn't pick Inherent Vice unless, unless I like have unless a, you're there for it. That's what you're there unless, for. Yeah, exactly. Unless I'm like, you know, I really am ready to sit down with this movie again and feel every little thought that it has and every, you know, um kind of thing. But it is a little more demanding than Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood are, for sure. But I think that I just really vibe with what is on its mind and at its in its heart. Like very very, 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 very intensely. I think I, I just really appreciate absolutely that movie can talk about these kinds of emotions and stuff so openly, and just kind of feel this like, isn't it so sad? But also, it's all right, buddy, kind of thing. Like that's I think just what I, I started looking for in art after a certain point, a little bit, and um, it's also just like a beautifully like it's it's so it's so well made despite not being everybody's thing. Yes. Like for what it for what it is, it is such a it's a really well crafted film, even though like it's just not going to hit for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Some people don't like eggs. You know what I mean? And some people love eggs. I like bananas because <laughs> they've got no bones. <laughs> I don't got no like... strings to hold me down. I I discovered Weekly gave me this song recently, or someone I forgot where it came from, but there's a song called "I Like Bananas Because They Have No Bones." Is that a ween? that seems like a Ween thing? It 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 feels like a Ween thing, right? Yeah, but it's not. It's from like the 30s, 36. I don't like your peaches; they are full of stones. I like bananas because they've got no bones. Is that like a Nat King Cole type thing, or what? Who sings that? This is by. Um, who is this by? Henry Hall. It's it's kind of like one of those songs that just kind of like is sung by a bunch of different people because it's, one, it's like yeah, it's a it's a standard. Exactly. It's but, one of those songs that plays in the background of Bioshock when you walk into a room. It literally is. Yeah, <laughs> by Chris Yakich and Lorraine Milne. Uh, fascinating. But yeah, it's a it's a very funny song. Anyway, we got one um, more. We got one more award to give out, and then we can say goodbye to everyone forever. Okay. All right. Okay. Rocky, who, what, when, or why is your MVP for Inherent Vice? Boy, boy, howdy! If I, if it was, if this wasn't a tie. <laughs> oh boy, how 
Howdy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, look, shout out to Catherine Watterson. It's not going to be Catherine Watterson, but shout Catherine Watterson is very anyway. good in this film. And I was really excited to see her career take off a little bit after this movie. And I like seeing her in things. I think she's great. She's got a very good spirit to her. I think she she has a an innate ability to kind of make me feel emotional just watching her, I think. Uh, but the real MVPs for this movie for me are Joanna Newsom and editor Leslie Jones. I think this movie's uh, gorgeousness and um, everything that I vibe with is kind of hinging on their work individually. And uh, yeah, I love them both very much. Joanna Newsom, I'm, I'm not really even like the hugest fan of your music, but I think you're amazing in this film. And Leslie Jones, please edit PTA's next movie. Please, for the love of God. Damn, we love that. We yeah. love that. I would love to see them fucking come back. I think uh, the guy who did a lot of PTA's music stuff did Licorice Pizza, Andy Jurgensen, I think. Mm, interesting. So, that, that makes sense because he's just like, they've just been in that mode for making all of Heim's music videos. Yeah. So it just kind of makes sense that, you know, they would collaborate on this. But yeah, man, I mean, this is actually, I kind of want to use this as a time to say, like, I think we'll probably talk about her more, obviously, by the awards for this series or whatever. But we're saying goodbye to the Punch Drunk Love, The Master, and Inherent Vice trio of films. And I've thought a lot about those three movies for a very long time. They really are near and dear to me and are so such unique looks into human existentialism and heartbreak and uh, heartrending. So, yeah, props to the work that those two did together. It's awesome. We love them for that. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. And now I, and now, <laughs> now I will do this. Holy shit, I'm going to come. And now I will give my MVP award. Production designer David Crank, art director Ruth DeYoung. Ruth DeJong, I'm mm-hmm. not sure on that how you say that. Set director Amy Wells, costume designer Mark Bridges, makeup department head Gigi Williams, and hair department head Mila Covero. Art department leads. Makeup and hair, big part of that, as well as the visuals of that. This movie the is... Hair. And yeah, the hair in this movie is pretty unreal from Doc Sportello's shag to the clean cut mm-hmm. of Bigfoot to Owen Wilson's different kind of shag. Just everyone looks immaculate. And Maya Rudolph's hair in this movie is like perfectly primmed and proper, you know, for what her character is. So mm-hmm. big shouts out to the, the art department, including makeup and hair, uh, as well as whoever was in charge of picking those needle drops, which I have to imagine was like, 60 to 70% PTA and maybe 30% the uh, the music supervisor Linda Cohen. So those yeah. are my tie for MVP. The you know like like Rocky and I keep saying, even if this isn't your cup of tea, there's a lot to be admired about this film regardless. And even though it mm. does kind of stick out, I think for a lot of people in PTA's filmography, whether it's a oh my god, why didn't he do more shit like this? Or, oh my God, I'm so glad he never did anything like this again, you know, regardless. It's really, yeah. it's worth talking about. Although I will say, I'd like to not watch this movie for at least two years now. I, going I you forward. know, I'm looking forward to not giving you any reasons to watch it for another couple of years because, like The Master, it's a movie that really just kind of can grow with you as you grow old, too. Sure. And I think once you, you can return to it, maybe. Years down the line, maybe you'll see it in 70 millimeter on a nice, you know, on a nice screening. And I think yeah. that could really give you another cool perspective on it. Not saying like you're missing anything or anything like that, but you know, sometimes these movies stick with you. Sometimes they don't. I fell out of love with Magnolia and then fell back in love with it again. You know, yes. I guess his movies have this kind of like other life to them. I think this one and the master in particular, both feel like they're movies that kind of like 
almost change in between times you watch them. Totally. <laughs> like there's like a there's like a little gremlin who goes in there and kind of retools it or something because I watch it even this time and I'm like, I forgot that that's what she says or like that's how this scene goes or like that this shot's even in it. You know, it it really it really messes with your head in a in a cool way. So and I felt I hope I... that you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What were you gonna finish your finish your thought? I, know, I was I was gonna interrupt you again. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to start talking again so I could interrupt you. No, I mean I you know I, I I hope that you enjoy it the next time you see it, which is hopefully in no more no less than four years. I would like to wait two or three years to watch this again because I literally watched it less than a year ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'd like to only watch it in the theater so that there's no distractions. It's not for something like I want to be able to just say, because as much as I love doing it's on the list, you know, and even like prior, my favorite podcast episodes, if you have to watch something, it's different yeah. than being like, oh, I'm going to throw this on because I'm interested. It's an mm-hmm. obligation, <laughs> you know, whether, no matter which way you slice it. And so if a movie's challenging and it's an obligation, Fuck that. You are not going to have a good time. You are going to be wanting to do other shit. So I would yeah. like to watch this movie again in maybe three years in a theater. And I want to want to be able to go to it. And I actually, and I was, you know, I, the last time I watched it, I loved it, which was at the Frida. And so I was hoping that maybe some of that would carry over this time. And I think it's all about time, place, circumstance, you know, and being patient enough to be like, all right, this is what I'm going to give a shot to. But I think that for me, my inherent vice for you is Magnolia. You know what I mean? Like Magnolia right. is my totally. inherent vice. It's the, it's, that's the analogy here is like, I you go really, back to that one and I'm just like, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, you really oh engage boy. with its quirks and it's like super open hearted emotionality and stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So, and I think it's beautiful that like both of these movies are kind of singular in their own right. There's like 100%. little things that bridge them to other movies in his career or whatever. But it's kind of the special thing about his filmography is that each one has its own very specific sensation and way of going about things. And he's versatile. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, he does a shtick, but also it's uh, so cool to be to be not so sure what to expect next. Absolutely. And who knows what we're going to get, you know, next and when yeah. we're going to get it next, you know, to be I honest know, with right, you. Right. That's the big yeah. question. That's the big question on everyone's mind. Where's the next PTA film? Why the audience is buzzing. Out? They want to know when me, David Lynch, will be in PTA's next movie. Coop, did you hear this? I'm going to be playing a sad guy in David Lynch's <laughs> next movie in the town of Twin Peaks, Washington. Coop, you're going to want to sit down. John Michael Higgins does an accent. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to want to sit down. This age gap is crazy, folks. Not only did she say she's 25, but later on she says she's 28. Making it worse. We have to end the episode. <laughs> we have to end the episode. Rocky, another good one in the books, my friend. What do you got for us? Where can the folks find you? You can find me on Netflix in The Floor is Lava, Season Fuck. 3, Episode 4. That's true. You can probably see my face on the thumbnail for Floor is Lava. Me or Jake Ellenbogen are the thumbnail for the show currently. So look out for our faces on Netflix. We are in an episode of Floor is Lava with Alex Alsup. Uh, and also you can watch Everything Now Show live on Twitch every Monday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Pacific and then Saturdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. It's a live interactive comedy show we do on a green screen. And we have a lot of wonderful comedians from around the L.A. area and the Twitch community 
come watch us and interact in many different ways. It's very fun. I'm burping up a donut right now and I'm trying to stifle it. Yep. But twitch.tv slash everything now show. You can follow me on Letterboxd, R-O-N-C-K-Y, Ronky. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I don't really use it that much anymore, but I just did a fire ass tweet today. So you can check that out. It's yep. uh, Rocky Pajarito. And so stupid. <laughs> and on, on Instagram, you can follow me at <laughs> the lawn wrangler, which is a bottle rocket reference. Shout out Owen Wilson. Once again, he's so good in this movie. I'm so happy that he was in this movie. <laughs> he's as good as he is in this movie. It's one of his crowning achievements uh, as well as, well, I mean, agree. he is a very good actor. Like he is. Yeah, course, and it doesn't always get the opportunity. I think sometimes because of mm-hmm. being in things like drill bit Taylor, <laughs> you know, but uh, which is a very Fucking special a. movie to me because a, one of the main kids in that movie went to my high school that I didn't know him. This was before I went wow. to that high school, Alex Frost. And I saw that movie with my dad in theaters, and it was like, oh, yes, dad's taking me to see a naughty movie. Let's go. Yeah, you know? that's pretty special. Yeah. And it was a John and- Hughes script that got, like, fucked around with to the point where it wasn't recognizable as John Hughes anymore, I think. Yeah, like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg took it over or whatever. And uh, you leaned over to your dad in the theater and said, that's Lisa Lampanelli. She's the queen of me. <laughs> I leaned over to my dad in the theater and said, it's inappropriate for you to be taking me to stuff like this at my age. Why did you do this? You're a bad parent. My friend You're Rocky's dad parent. brought him to forgetting Sarah Marshall. What are you going to do for me? What are you doing? Hey, what are you going to do for me? I'll go live with the Pajaritos down in Orange County. <laughs> Fuck off. I'm flying down right now. I'm getting on the plane. Uh, Rocky's fire tweet was, Viva La Brom Stoker's Dracula. What will he do next? Whatever the fuck I want. And then the rock on, etc. Right now we're looking at 10 likes in four hours. Pretty good. Do it. Damn, th- damn, this doing numbers, as damn. that one guy, as that one meme says. And then but, above that, I retweeted a clip from Freddy Got Fingered with some new metal over it. Maybe we do just the, maybe we do the podcast uh, of just watching Freddy Got Fingered every week, maybe. Yep. Thank you to everyone who came to the show at HaHa. Uh, Sunday, the 25th. That was very nice of you to everyone who came out. Thank you to everyone who was at the private B-Day show at the Skip Town Playhouse last Friday. Uh, if you want to follow me for any dates that I have upcoming, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at uh, Noah Marger on Twitter and at Noah underscore Marger on Instagram. And if you want updates on this fucking show, follow me or follow the show rather on Twitter and Instagram at my fave pod. Thank you for listening again next week. A little something different. We're doing, yep, we're doing Junnan. <laughs> Can't believe I convinced him to let us do Junnan. Yep, we're doing Junnan. See you next week when, yep, we do Junnan. <laughs> yep, we're doing Junnan next week, everyone. The whole fucking episode is just going to be Junnan. And yet, it'll be our longest episode Yep, we're doing Johnnin. Okay.